Okay, Ali, thanks for coming on. Welcome to Talking Tenets Uncovering Elite Performers. Thanks for having me, Chandra. It's a real pleasure to have you on. You've obviously got a really prestigious career today in technology sales and leadership brands such as Salesforce, Adobe, NetSuite, and now Zendesk, where you've led sales teams. A very high-performance industry, as we know. What led you into sales in the first place? And what do I need to know about your background that led you into such an elite, high-level discipline? Yeah, so it's it's funny you ask because you can probably tell from the accent that I'm I'm not from Australia. I'm actually from the states. I actually grew up in the Bay Area, so the global hub for technology and, and innovation. And very fortunate to grow up in uh, kind of the San Francisco, California area of the U.S. Um, my father was actually in software sales growing up, so um, from a very early on age. Saw my dad, you know, as the breadwinner for the family, constantly traveling during the week, meeting with executives, always wearing his perfectly ironed suit, um, but working really hard each week and each month towards that sales quota. And obviously, throughout times of the year, stressed, you know, depending on those big deals he was trying to close. Um, and so I think naturally, it was just something that always interested me. Um, but I do think I accidentally fell into sales shortly after college. Uh, it just happened to be that I, I found an advertising sales role shortly after graduation. And um, that was really what kind of got my foot in the door in terms of selling. Um, and then, uh, to be honest with you, I actually hated it at, at the beginning. Um, it was not for me. It's probably because I was selling a dead product. I did uh, join Salesforce in the U.S. and that was really my, you know, kind of big named um, opportunity uh, with a larger organization. And Salesforce moved me out to Australia about six and a half years ago and then have been, just been quite fortunate to spend some time at a few other tech companies since then. Um, so that's what brought me into sales. And, and I've never looked back. I think, you know, technology is obviously at the forefront of the industry. Um, it's a very lucrative uh, te technology, I think, in general, you know, definitely um, having such an impact on a variety of different things. I mean, technology really does have the power to transform lives and industries and being a part of that is really exciting. And then, of course, you know, being able to actually make some good money along the way, that also helps. What did your dad say when you told him you were getting into the biz? You know, I think I think he he's, wasn't much of a not doesn't really show emotions, but I think for him it was a very prideful moment to see his daughter, you know, go into sales and then obviously technology sales kind of following in his footsteps. I have a brother who um, is in a very very different industry, so I think yeah, quite quite happy and and proud. And where did your dad work? So he worked always in, in the Bay Area, um, in San Francisco, a couple of, of big brands that he's worked for, PeopleSoft, oh, yeah. which some may know about, Oracle. He did work for Oracle for a number of years. Yeah, yeah. and I should be um, <clears throat> very pleased with the uh, the type of brands that you've uh, gone to work for as well, I'm sure. And another thing I wanted to pick up on, you mentioned that first advertising sales role. You didn't enjoy, you didn't think it was for you. What lesson have you learned from that experience that you could pass on to reps that are coming through that have a similar experience and they're thinking, maybe this isn't for me? 
Yeah. You know, I, I took the role because it was this really sexy account executive role. And it, you know, I even had my own office in, in this high rise building in downtown San Francisco and it paid well. Um, but the truth was, is I was really unhappy. I was, you know, selling a product that I definitely didn't believe in. I, it was a dying breed. It was print advertising. And, you know, I was working with small businesses and could see how much money they were actually devoting to, um, you know, have their, their brand and whatnot in a publication. And yet they weren't really getting a big ROI on it. And so I, I actually just didn't feel like I was doing the right thing by my customers. Um, and so I think, you know, we sometimes jump to roles, right? Because they, they look quite sexy or they pay well. But I think it's really important to figure out what is it that you are passionate about? What do you want to actually be doing? And, and do you believe in the company and products that you're selling or, or the role that you're jumping to? Because I can tell you that it's not always, the grass isn't always greener. It, it sometimes gets mowed the same, as they say. Um, and so I'd encourage folks to really figure it out, figure out what it is that you're passionate about. Um, do you believe in the company? Can you really get behind the role that you're, you're jumping on board for? And sometimes it's okay to, to stay in a role a little bit longer, as long as you're learning and you're feeling challenged, um, as opposed to just always jumping to the next sexy thing. Sure. In, in that scenario, would you, would you advise if somebody was thinking, maybe this isn't right, based on your experience, it sounds, is it worth saying, okay, but what about different products? Is that a, uh, an exercise you might go through before deciding sales isn't for you? Yes, yes, uh, definitely, definitely. And, and I think, you know, I might be biased because I work in the world of sales development, but I, I do genuinely think that an SDR and a BDR role is a great way to learn if if you are cut out for sales. Um, you know, a lot of times people think sales, you can make a lot of money and, you know, you have flexible working options and can travel all over. But the reality is, is it's a bit of a grind at times. And there can be a lot of stresses added to your plate in terms of your quota and making sure that you're supporting your customers and, and doing the right thing. And so, Having a role like an SDR or a BDR role where maybe you don't have that that constant uh, pressure or stress about the closing piece, you still have the KPIs and, and quotas to hit, but it at least gives you more of an opportunity to learn and, and figure out, is this the, the, the path that I want to take forward? And what are the traits that you find within those people that do manage to make it through that period and go on to be successful SDRs? Number one, I'd say is drive. I think, you know, intrinsically being motivated to succeed and, and overachieve month after month or quarter after quarter. You know, I, I can't teach someone how to have drive. You either have it or you don't. And that's actually one of the, the traits that I always look for when I do hire people from, from outside. I think those that are genuinely curious, ask a lot of questions, they listen, they, they really want to understand how businesses work. How do they make money? You know, what is it about their success that's actually going to help this company take the step forward to achieve their goals? Um, and then I'd say, you know, the other key piece is someone that's coachable. Are they open to, to learning and, and getting feedback? And do they take that feedback on? Because the, the worst thing is, you know, hiring someone maybe that's driven, but they aren't coachable, they aren't open to your feedback, and they're very much stuck in their ways. 
And then in turn, they're not really willing to learn um, from their account executives that they support as well. So I'd say drive, curiosity and, and listening and, and being, being coachable. How do you identify drive? Yeah, it's a good question. I think I mean, you can ask a variety of questions in, in any interview. Um, but, you know, someone that, that's done sports in their background, I think, is always a really good example of someone that, that it's driven, right? Sports is competitive and, and you've got to have some drive, I think, to actually be successful in any kind of sports, whether it's tennis or footy or whatever. Um and I think, you know, through through the interview and asking certain questions and and understanding what what motivates them, you know, are they actually driven by money? You know, sometimes I'll ask, like, why do you want want this role? And they'll say, Well, I, I love helping people. And the reality is, is that's not what a salesperson, you know, is is going to be successful, is is to help people. Sure, it's it's to ensure that your product can help that organization achieve their goals, but at the end of the day, you've got to be driven by probably money in, in some capacity, and, and you've got to be driven to constantly be overachieving. Um, and, and that's really, you learn that through a conversation, right? Absolutely. I, I found personally, if, if not money, then the other thing that perhaps can be really useful is, is competitiveness. Have you found that you've been able to channel somebody's competitiveness and pick it up from, you mentioned sports or other disciplines, and then take that into a sales environment, even if they aren't necessarily motivated by money? Have you found any? Yes. Yes, yes, definitely. I think the the, the, the motivation on money piece is, is important because at the end of the day, sales, there's a commission component. You want to drive, obviously, to get that money component. But I think, yes, you absolutely can be competitive and and want to do well. Um, and, and the money just kind of comes along. But I think um, when I look for someone to join our team, I definitely look for competitiveness and, and drive. But I don't want that lone wolf who's going to be competitive enough that's just going to push all of his team members aside and elbows out. You know, I always say... You want to win, but you want to beat your your colleague by only a dollar. Like you both should be striving towards the be the best of the best. And and if you are the best of the best on the team, share that knowledge, empower your colleagues and peers, um, because those team players are also the ones that are going to be most successful, and they know how to work with a wider cohort of individuals around them. And successful account executives in tech, you work with many different parts of the business. You've got your SC, your manager. You sometimes have to bring in partners. Maybe you've got your BDR that you're working with. And so you can't be that lone wolf. You've got to, you know, really kind of rally the troops together and, and take them forward. I always say it's it's like the quarterback, you know, kind of running the the um, the game in a, in a football, football. Absolutely. It's very much that. I hear that a lot. Um, on the incentives piece, I think um, what I've seen with, junior reps and recruiters as well which is of course sales related um with the the money the long-term goal i I sometimes find people you know they might do a a review at the beginning of the year and say at the end of the year i want to um buy x right so they've got this picture and there's some visualization great but i often find that i often found that those people weren't able to get to that goal and get through the 12 months because in the um nfl analogy it's you know, it's a long, long game, right? And there are a lot of touchdowns and lots of plays to get there. 
and just focusing on that end of year goal, be it something monetary material, it doesn't help when you get in on Monday morning, you've got calls to that. All right. It's just too far away. It's just not, <clears throat> it's not visceral enough. I think for immediate motivation, have you, how do you tend to combat that? And is that something that you, you find when you're coaching reps? Definitely. And, and that's a really good point, John Joe. I think, you know, sales, it is a cyclical, you know, job. Um, and unless you're you're constantly grinding, you you are going to have your highs and your lows, and and the money's not always going to be there. I think, um, and I'm starting to see this too, particularly in sales development. Is you know, back in the day when when I was a, a BDR, you know, you were in the role for maybe nine months, twelve months, and then you got promoted and you progressed quickly. Nowadays, people are staying in sales dev for you know eighteen to twenty four months, and that's kind of becoming more the norm. And I think it's actually really good because it allows you to to really build a base and and you know start to actually nurture all those conversations that you're having and so maybe someone's not yet ready to buy right now or evaluate your product but 6 months from now they might be and and you can still actually follow up and and potentially get that large deal um but you know the most successful individuals are constantly building their own pipeline and funnel and while you may not have you know an exceptional Q3, you're still looking ahead and, and trying to build that base for Q4 and then Q1 of next year. And I think, um, you know, in, in my own experience, you know, there have been quarters as, as an AE where, you know, I didn't sell very much, but I was still constantly trying to drive forward on, you know, what am I going to do differently next quarter so that I can achieve my targets? Um, or, or maybe it's giving yourself another goal. Maybe it's not that else that you wanted to buy at the end of the year, but it's, you know, a, a mini tropical, tropical vacation and working towards things that are a little bit more achievable in the short term. Got it. You mentioned the uh, tenure and that's obviously a really topical um, discussion point in that those tenures have increased, right? You mentioned nine, 12 months when you were an SDR. How have you found balancing the SDR career trajectory and wants and desires with business commitments and priorities? Yes, it's it's tough. I think, you know, as no one wants to be an SDR or a BDR forever, um, we, we do have some team members, you know, maybe been in the role three, four years and they're still making good money. And as long as they're driven and they're learning, you know, I always say you're welcome to, to stay an SDR as long as you'd like. Um, but the reality is I'd say most people probably don't want to be in the role forever and they want to get to that next step. And trying to manage the expectations around career development and, and promotions, like at the end of the day, it is all about sales and whether or not they're hiring and if those open roles are actually there. Um, but I, I, you know, I tell my team of XDRs that, you know, you're, you're in, you're in tech, you're paid extremely well, right. Compared to a lot of other people. And, and you don't have that, that super stressful, you know, kind of RVP looking over your shoulder of like, what deal are you going to close tomorrow? And so, I often say, enjoy it, enjoy the ride. Like it's, it really is, you know, your career is a long journey, 30, 40, 50 years for some people. And if you spend an extra year now in sales development, it's really not going to be the end of the world. Um, you'll have an opportunity to, you know, hopefully make a little bit of money, learn. I, I think as long as you're learning and still feeling challenged um, and developing, that's extremely important as well. If, if you're starting to get bored and just not learning at all, probably the time to go. But I think, um, you know, 
investing in yourself is so important. Um, and obviously those promotional opportunities will come and, and it may not be at the organization that you're currently at. Um, but I guarantee you that having some type of sales development experience on your resume or your LinkedIn, you're a very attractive candidate to a lot of other organizations. And no doubt you'd be getting recruiters knocking on your door, wanting to help you find a job externally. Absolutely. I mean, I can't think of a RVP that I work with that doesn't look for reps that have got a really solid SDR foundation. Um, it really is a high priority because of the the skills that they, of course, they pick up and they can generate their own pipeline. Um, patience is something that seems to be really relevant. And I think it's really good advice, you know, take a step back and look at how you're remunerated versus other industries for what you're doing, you know, whether how much you're enjoying your job versus the average person. These are things that perhaps you might, or, you know, take some, take a bit of a relative look at it and be patient and stay in seat for a bit longer because, um, in time it will come right. If you, if you do spend that time, you do a really good job, but it, it does seem more and more that, um, people want to get out of SDR really, really quickly. Could, could you talk a bit more about that and the shifting culture there? Is it, is it a generational thing? Is it, is it that organizations aren't setting up SDRs in the right way? Whereas, you know, at large they were in previous years. What's your take on why there is such a grasp to get out of SDR right now? I think, I think it's twofold. I think one is it is a tough job. Right. And, and I believe it's the most difficult job in, in any tech company. Um, you know, dealing with rejection day in, day out, being on the phones, hunting, and then you don't really get the reward of actually closing that deal. And you watch someone else take it forward and maybe they win, maybe they don't. Um, I think the other thing too is there's this stigma that, you know, maybe you just don't want to be in XDR forever. You don't want to be considered a lifer XDR. You want to get out and move on and, and progress. You want to be that account executive where, you know, you're carrying your own bag. Um, but I think, you know, when I, I have seen opportunities come about at the most unusual times throughout the year, right? They'll say maybe there's no headcount right now. And then, a few people decide to leave the business and then a week later, something changes. And it's such a shame to, to see someone who's at the top of the dashboard, a top performer, they're the elite, and perhaps they don't see a promotional opportunity in the next month or three months and they leave. And yet um, opportunities are created for the best. I've seen new departments and new roles open up at, at my time in some of my um, organizations and you know, they want to hire the best of the best. But if you're not there, you've already left. Um, I think it really limits the opportunities that you have. And and the other thing I'd say too, is that, um, you know, again, two years in, in the grand scheme of things as an XDR is, is not going to be something that kills your career. Um, and I think you're also more likely to get exposure to a role that maybe you wouldn't get externally. Um, so as an example, in, in the past, I've had XDR say, I want to get into XDR leadership. And I'm much more likely to hire a top performing XDR in our team who has done the role for two, three years into a leadership role because they've shown that they, you know, their peers respect them and they know exactly what it takes to actually be a strong leader, as opposed to that individual leaving and trying to get hired as an XDR manager elsewhere when that company has no relationship to that individual, doesn't know their credibility, their background, their work ethic, et cetera. Got it. W one thing that we've seen as 
businesses are crying out for SDR talent, um, what you might call enterprise SDRs, and that's really anybody with a year's experience plus, um, right? Their, the remuneration for those people has gone up in recent years, and I'm, uh, you know, we, we both see that on a day-to-day. Um, that is one thing that has certainly improved. Do you think that's gone far enough, first of all? And secondly, are there any other things that the industry at large could do better to retain STRs for longer? Yes. The, the second question I'll, I'll answer first. I, I do think you, know, you have to invest in your people and, and you have to ensure that they are learning and developing. And I, I've said that a lot in, in today's session, but um, you know, a learning and development fund is so important. And I, I know a lot of tech companies do offer that, but being able to continue to, you know, hone your skill set and and ensure that you're developing is is so important. Um, and that way your people aren't getting bored or or finding, you know, their day-to-day stale. And so I think they're a lot more likely to stay. I think if you treat your people with with respect and and there's a great reason to commit to your organization, you're going to get people lifelong. And I also think having strong leaders in place to take those people forward is so important as well. If if you don't have a great leader, I mean that's why people end up leaving jobs in itself, right? Is that they they don't love their manager. Um and so I think as companies, you know, try to retain the talent, it's it's important that your BDRs have some kind of insight in terms of their career progression. There has to be something at stake or they have to at least have seen some of their peers progress forward and know that there is going to be an opportunity for them. With regards to the enterprise BDR space, I find it quite interesting because when I meet with you know sales leaders, RVPs and AVPs, they always say to me, particularly in the past, We'd love our BDRs, but you know they're here with us for nine months and then they're gone. And it's such an impact to our business because it takes us three months to get them up to speed on our accounts. And then they start to prospect and they make some traction. And then before you know it, they're leaving to go on to a promotion. And so enterprise leaders really actually want BDRs for like two plus years because they can make a real dent in the territory you know, it takes a long time to penetrate some of these large organizations, building those relationships with the AEs as well. You can imagine, you know, a very tenured enterprise AE who has, you know, obviously extensive experience. They don't want just kind of a, a rocking boat of a constant new BDR every single year. They want someone that's going to be around for a few years. And so I think that's really important as well. And, and, you know, as a hiring manager, I have to sell that to that person that, hey, you could be in this role for 18 to 24 months, but you're going to be really successful and you're going to learn a lot about enterprise, which most people don't have an opportunity to do at the age of, you know, 24, 25, 26, whatever. So there are a lot of benefits, I think, to sticking it out a little bit longer. Um, and and you'd be surprised. I've, I've seen BDRs actually go from, you know, spending two years supporting the enterprise space to moving into a role like ECS, which is kind of that enterprise corporate space. So supporting enterprise accounts, but, you know, everything under a certain deal threshold is, is what they focus on. And, you know, they're in their late 20s and, and selling to multi-million dollar companies. You're right. We, we're starting to see this much more as well, this hybrid SDR slash inside sales rep, perhaps where they're, they're closing deals of a certain size, which is great. And I think that is a real alluring um, opportunity for SDRs, um, for companies that do offer it. We've touched on it a little bit, but with that in mind, what, what's the future of SDR 
and that role, if we're talking about enterprise SDRs, they're remunerated really well. That's increasing. They're starting to get access to bigger accounts. Um, do you get the feeling that the, the profile of an SDR in the future is going to change and the size of the teams might change? What, what's your take on that? I, I do. I, I think definitely um, the role agreement, particularly for an outbound SDR or, or BDR, use the you know, term interchangeably, um, being able to really develop those conversations and actually ensure that you are very well threaded within an organization, right? You're sometimes I hear the term glorified SDR where, you know, they're just following up on, on a lead, but a true business development representative has to understand how to navigate a huge company, right? And, and reach out to the different departments and, and decision makers and understand that, you know, operations may be doing this next month, but uh, perhaps procurement over here has got a big, you know, RFP coming out next Q1 and, and be so well-threaded within that, that you're actually truly generating that business development from the ground up. I like to say that I think through BDR should be taking the deal to probably stage three um, and then really kind of allowing that warm handoff so that, you know, that that deal can progress forward. Um, and so I think there will be more and more kind of focus and pressure on ensuring that the BDRs are really developing opportunities and, and getting them as warm as they can. Um, I think the future of sales development is continually evolving. I mean, there's so many different advances in technology and tools and, and buyer behaviors are changing. Like I think AI and automation is going to be such a, uh, an important part of, of automating a lot of the routine tasks that our XDRs do now, um, providing valuable insights, you know, on customer behaviors and really allowing you to to personalize that that conversation and that outreach. I think AI is just going to completely transform the way that we work uh, here in the next few years. I think also, um, you know, social selling, like um, all of us are, are on LinkedIn, but being able to use social, you know, to reach potential new prospects and customers, um, sales reps really need to leverage the social platforms, I think, to understand their prospects better. And I don't see enough account executives or XDRs doing this at the moment. Um, and so there, there really has to be, you know, some, some pressure on that uh, coming into the future. And, and also I'd say last but not least, it's just like virtual selling, you know, we we learned the whole like kind of work from home and selling more on Zoom during COVID and post COVID. But with the rise of remote work and and digital communication tools, I think virtual selling is the new norm. I mean, nothing will ever replace that face to face and being able to handshake and sit across the table from a customer. But I think we need to learn how to adapt at building relationships and closing deals virtually. Got it. And this super. BDR type profile that I think you mentioned there. What what are the current gaps that you see between the super BDR and what, what we see now? Or and that might include AEs as well. I think we touched on this previously. What what are the gaps in outbound right now? Yeah, it's it's one of my biggest pet peeves, which is just this lack of personalization and and you know sending these generic 
product focused emails that um, are just so not about the the customer or the customer's needs. I think we have uh, this ever-growing access to information. Buyers are much more informed nowadays. They have higher expectations than ever. And, you know, if you're just going to send this, you know, generic template of an email, it's just, you know, I get them all the time and it's just delete, delete. And so I, I'd say the biggest gap is is really that lack of personalization and, and not understanding a customer's business and their needs. Um, it's so easy to take a few extra minutes of reading the profile of the contact that you're about to send an email to and and tailor that outreach to that individual. Um, and you're so much more likely to get a response or at least have that email forwarded on to the correct decision maker. And I think, you know, it's really important too that XDRs take that that consultative approach. Um, you know, that they're also there as an advisor to help that customer solve the problem. They're opening up that door. They will eventually hand the deal off to an AE, but, you know, they're not there to try to pitch a product. And I cringe when I ever hear, you know, anyone talking about product. We shouldn't be ever pitching product or or talking about the nuances of how this product works and how our competitor's product doesn't work. It's not about that. It's about our customers at the end of the day and and what's important to them. And we need to personalize that in every conversation. The personalization, what does that look like with um, a prospect? Is it how personal might they go? in terms of approaching somebody, if it's a, you know, somebody that's a start in their career and they're reaching out to an exec, how do they balance the personalization without being creepy for lack of a better word? What does that look like? Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, leveraging, um, you know, industry specific or role specific, right? If you're reaching out to a CEO, his or her goals are going to be very different than that of a CTO's, right? And and vice versa. And so making sure that's that's a you know a mini form of customization in itself. So making sure that you're reaching out about that specific person's needs or or drivers for what they want to actually grow the business forward. Um also industries, right? If if I'm gonna reach out to someone in the mining and agricultural industry, that you know approach and that email that I send him or her is going to be very different to someone that I'm reaching out to in the tech space or in the advertising space. And so it's important that you get those use cases correct. And I think you know leveraging other similar use cases and, and customer references is another way to personalize things. You know, as um, a local CMO here in Sydney, it's it's a small industry and, and small network. They probably know a lot of their other peers and colleagues in in the industry. And so, being able to name drop um, is always a great way to also personalize it. Or if you can get referrals in any ways, I think that goes a long way. Absolutely, it's becoming really clear that the the outcomes for an XDR SDR are really well very well determined by the business or the leader that they're fortunate enough to work for right you can put in so much effort but you know with the right business or the right leader that can be um that can go in different directions how important is it to pick the right leader or pick the right software business to join and do you have any advice for aspiring people getting into the industry as to how they might make that assessment if they're really green right and they don't they don't really know too much about the industry 
what what kind of questions should they be asking to understand if this is the right XDRO for them? You mean when someone's actually interviewing? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's important, a couple different things. I think it's really important for an XDR to, of course, know what is that career trajectory and promotion path? What does that look like? Because again, they're, they're not going to want to be in that role forever. But in order to figure out if the role is really for them, I think um, you know the approach that I like to take is, is always ensuring that you have someone on the team, another former XDR part of that interview panel, so that they can really talk about their day-to-day and educate that potential candidate on what it looks like, right? What does their Monday through Friday look like? What do they spend a majority of their time doing? How do they stay organized? How do they prioritize? And so it helps an external candidate actually really hear from someone doing the role. Yeah, great. I think a couple other good questions to ask too is just around um, understanding, you know, what is the enablement and, and onboarding process look like? Because, you know, if you are coming from a different industry or you're coming from a non-sales role, you want to make sure that you're trained very well and that there is time devoted to your success in terms of ramping, that you're not just kind of thrown into the deep end right at the very beginning. So understanding what that onboarding process looks like is is really good. Uh, and important. And then I'd say another one is is really, um, you know, understanding what opportunities there are within the organization if for some reason sales maybe wasn't going to be that next step for them. And they'll probably learn that pretty quickly on. But I think a really good organization hires great people. And then if maybe they're not ready or fit for sales, they'll find them another role within the organization. And tech companies are growing so quickly. It's a variety of different or, you know, roles within any tech company. It's pretty easy to find something else internally. Great advice. As we go reach towards the end, I want to circle back to the elite nature of this, this podcast. And of course, you're a, a, somebody that's clearly very driven and you instill that drive into your teams, Ali. How would you how would you define elite, and what does that mean to you when you think about business and and your life itself? Yeah, I love the question. I'd say, I mean, elite is obviously the best of the best, right? It, it's an individual who's the top tier, um, whether it's in their class or their organization, usually associated with high performance. Um, so you probably see elite, you know, in, in the world of, of sports. But I'd say that it doesn't come without a lot of hard work, dedication, um, and, and a unique way of, of approaching things. So to me, I'd say it, it really goes beyond just the the professional achievements or skills. I think elite really encompasses um, attributes like character, your values, resilience, and and that commitment to constantly learning and, and bettering oneself. I think, you know, when I see elite individuals, um, you know, either within my own team or externally when I'm hiring, it's they're always holding them to a very high standard, right? They hold themselves to that that really top of the top of the um, threshold, um, and and they lead by example, right? They they inspire others around them. Um, they continuously striving to really broaden their their knowledge and skills and and be the best of the best. So I'd say it's it's not just someone that embodies excellence in you know their own abilities and achievements, but also in in everything they do out, outside of that. You feel it's something that you can coach for, or somebody that has has it 
or they don't in the same way that they have drive? Yeah, that's a really good question, John Doe. Um, I think I think that you can encourage and support, right? And I think that you can help someone find that eliteness within themselves. Uh, it's almost kind of like lighting the fire from within. I think you absolutely can teach someone how to find it, um, but it's got to be in there somewhere. It just may not be evident right off the bat. Um, but, you know, something as simple as just being a, a good person, I think I would encompass within elite as well. Like I said, they they respect others. They inspire others to be good people and have that strong mindset. Um, that absolutely, I think, is is it's in you um and maybe you can't teach that but you can inspire them in other ways to find that that other competitiveness or drive in other areas oh but they have to be looking for it it sounds like yeah absolutely i think so too um fantastic finally any um final words for xdr's reps that you just think any advice or anything they could be doing better to level up their game right now we know it's very difficult out there across the board um with all your experience as an elite performer ali any advice that you're giving to your xdrs and leaders right now that can up their game i think you know right now it's it's a tough market right there's a lot of companies that that aren't buying um we're obviously coming to the end of the year and people are focused on the holidays and <clears throat> perhaps you know, spending their extra money on, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> on um, holiday presents and, and just getting ready for, you know, checking out towards the end of the year. And I'd say those XDRs that are going to be successful going into the new year, are those that aren't giving up on on kind of the end, end of the end in sight. And they're really, um, you know, still putting in the effort here towards the end of the year when most others are kind of checking out. Um, I always tell my team that I think, the art of picking up the phone and cold calling is not dead. And there are so many of us that kind of shy away from just picking up the phone. And I'd really encourage, you know, any XDR to get on the phones, you know, have as many conversations as possible. You'd be surprised as to how many people are actually still receptive to picking up the phone and, and having a chat. Um, people hide behind email all day long. Like sometimes it's actually quite nice to just, you know, have a random phone call and, and pick it up and be a little bit caught off guard. And you'd be surprised as to what it can actually achieve. Um, and those people that are the most successful are those that don't give up. So yes, you may be t being told, no, follow up with me in January after the new year. But if you're still continuing to, you know, focus on, on building that funnel and that pipeline now, It'll only set you up for a really great 2024 and and hopefully um, an even better you know career as as you take your sales trajectory forward. Fantastic, Ali, you've been um, a brilliant guest. You're a real case study for um, drive and what you can achieve if you put your mind to it. So thanks so much. I know that there'll be um, plenty of people listening that love your story and you know just want to keep learning things from yourself. If there are any there are any aspiring reps and XDRs out in the industry that see this and listen to this and want to connect with you? What's the best way that they might follow you for more, more insights? Yeah, absolutely. I'm on LinkedIn, so happy to connect with anyone. Thanks, John Joe. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Ali. Absolutely. Thanks for having me again.